Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Hello, Russ. How many more of those books have you read this week? Well, since we last recorded yesterday, I've probably read four of those books. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I am low on my book reading this year. I think I've only read like 30 books this year, which is really slow. I need to pick it up for the rest of the year and do some serious reading. Yeah, yeah, you do. (laughs) I I can't believe you've only read read 30 books. I mean, come on, Russ. I don't read tech stuff. I only read philosophy and history and stuff like that. I rarely ever read a tech book. It would be very unusual for me to pick up a tech book to read. That's going to surprise a lot of people listening to this. I know, but that's that's the way it's worked. for Russ, I think it's because you wrote all the tech books <laughs> out there. Yeah, so You don't need to read them. <laughs> and that, by the way, is Phil Gravasi, who is joining us today from Kentech and from upstate New Yorkish. Yes. Something like that. that. Yeah, yeah. I live uh, about half an hour from the uh, from Albany, the capital of the state. So, oh, okay. yeah, right off the Hudson River, and uh, it is beautiful. September is probably my favorite month in upstate New York because we don't have the heat and humidity. It's dry and seventy four and sunny every day. However, and that's a big however, uh, in about six weeks it will be perpetual gray and snow until April. So that's the trade off. Yeah. But the leaves are changing. The pumpkin spice is in the air. It's very nice right now. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we were out in Pigeon Forge a couple of weeks ago just running around looking at pottery and stuff. And it's really beautiful this time of year up in the mountains to be like, there's all the leaves and everything. It's really a pretty time of year. Okay, so today we are talking about being a network engineer, which I know nothing about, Phil. So you're just going to have to help me here. <laughs> I mean, I'll do the best that I can, but... Uh... <laughs> I've spent most of my career Googling, so we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, that's about it. My daughter's taking a programming class right now, and she's asking me questions. And I'm like, I'm fine. I don't don't mind helping her with structuring problems, you know, and figuring out how to lay out the, what type of variables to use and stuff like that. But I'm like, you do know about Stack Exchange, don't you? Mm. Like, (laughs) nobody writes code anymore. They copy and paste from Stack Exchange. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's terrible, but that's the way it is. Okay, so, I mean, let's talk about it here. Like, what is being a network engineer today? When I came into this field, I mean, being a network engineer was connecting 60-pin connectors and AGS pluses and flipping the jumpers on the AGS plus. Okay, that that's really sad, but that's the what that's... <laughs> The boot jumpers on the AGS Plus, you figured out which file it was going to use, if anybody remembers that. <laughs> Some will. It's not sad, Russ. It, it's, it shows the wisdom of your age. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a badge of honor. Yeah, and the fact that you're still a... here, still, you know. <laughs> still alive. <laughs> that's not what I meant. Not getting still alive. Barely. I mean, <laughs> no, no. I mean that you're still here in the field and, and cranking out content and, and very much in the in the fray. Um, but yeah, no, no. I I, I, I got into. I, I think 
you, both of you know that I got into tech as a second career. Uh, I was in my mid-20s, so it was still very early on, but uh, I, was a, I was a high school English teacher. And so I oh, started I can off see why you switched. What's that? I can see why you switched. Why? Why do you say that? <laughs> high school oh. English teacher. <laughs> you knew ChatGPT was coming. That's the problem. I knew it. Uh, 20 years ahead, I knew it was coming. I could smell it in the air. No, I, I mean, I, there's a, that's an entire story unto itself, which I'm very happy to share. But nevertheless, um, you know, I got into the tech field um, uh, as, uh, as somebody in his mid-20s. Very, very ambitious, too, because I had a, a brand new family and um, somebody had to pay the mortgage. So I, uh, uh, I got into doing help desk first, which I thought was a fantastic way to start a career just because I got to touch everything. But it was in the days of uh, still seeing things like Rip out in the wild that was not unusual. And um, uh, it, it, I, I can't think of specific models and platforms now, but um, a, lot of, a lot of old gear, a lot of old dusty HP switches and Bay stack switches and things like that from, from many years ago. Bay. Yes, I remember Bay with the user interface that was basically crawl through the MIB. <laughs> was it? That was, that's what it was. <laughs> they didn't have a CLI. <laughs> you mm -hmm. just went in and set the MIB variable. Yeah, 10, 10 meg everywhere. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so it was, it was early on in like, uh, I don't know, about 2003, 2005, something like that. And uh, that was in the day when people would still ask you, hey, Tom, do you have email? Like they would ask you uh, because many people didn't. It was still right. very new. Like, do you have an email? Do you do that? And now it's like, what's your email? But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so developing the idea of what a network engineer is and was, um, I, I still haven't gotten over the, the fact that we use the term engineer in there. Um, but I do think after 20 years, I, I understand what that so, means. So, so what, what would you say rather than engineer? I'm oh, curious no. because everybody, yeah. because everyone says that, right? Everyone yeah. says you're not really an engineer, mm -hmm. right? Because you yeah. don't have the brass ring if you're in Canada or, you know, it's not hard engineering, etc. I'm always curious what we would call it. Other than, I mean, of course, I came out of electronic engineering is my background. Mm -hmm. And so that was real engineering. And, you know, what I do now is not real engineering. So, I mean, I, I always wonder, like, what would we call it if we didn't call it engineering? I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, It's, it's yeah. not administration, right? That's that's not the right term. Well, there are, certainly are network administrators oh, yeah, that are, that are babysitting networks. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want to downplay yeah. network administration. There's certainly skill yeah. and, and need yeah. there. Um, but uh, let's see, yeah. firefighter? Can we say firefighter? <laughs> yeah, we can. Magician? <laughs> Network magician? Network magician. That feels like yeah. I, I know. I know that uh, folks with electrical engineering background or a mechanical engineering background—that's traditionally what we would say in air quotes—is a real engineer. Right? Yeah. They're designing a bridge <laughs> that we then drive our vehicle on and trust in. Um, but you know, the thing is. I've had so many customers over my career, and some of them were absolutely mission critical life and death networks, right? Yeah, you know, a large hospital say. system yeah. uh -huh. and uh, all the telemetry from the devices coming into some yeah, central right. whatever application. Uh, operating rooms that cannot go offline and, and emergency systems. And I, even uh, some of the mundane projects that I did over my career where it was um, like uh, public schools, right? A large public mm -hmm. school district. Yeah, it's just a school district. It's, you know, flat networks. It's easy. And then the 
uh, the radio system to all the buses out in the field goes offline. Yeah, that's yeah. mission critical. That's mm -hmm. mission critical. So yeah. um, certainly, you know, I traditionally didn't think of the, the, the moniker engineer when thinking about computers, but there is definitely a mission criticality, criticality, just like when you drive over a bridge and put your life in the hands of whoever designed that thing. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so that is that is something that I've often wondered about. But then, okay, let's talk about how it's changed. So I, like I said, when I started, network engineering was completely different than it is today. It was much more focused on hardware, mm -hmm. much yeah. more focused on hardware than it is today. Uh, we were very, very astounded when a new connector came out. Now you don't even know about new connectors. Like you're like, you take a thing out and... You're like, okay, you go talk to go look in the lab and there's this kind of connector you've ne never seen before and you're like, what's that? Oh, okay, they invented a new connector, like whatever. I mean, it was a huge shift from the 60-pin, big square 60-pin X25 connectors down to the Foxconn 60-pin, the little one that looked like an HDMI connector. Even that was a huge shift in, in mentality back in those days. And um, I remember trying to get crossover for those things and stuff like that. So it, it is changing, and I would say that it's changing from hardware towards software. Not that there, or maybe it's splitting. Maybe there are hardware network engineers now, and there are software network engineers now. What do you think about that? Because that's, that's a possibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say that fundamentally it hasn't changed. Oh, really? Okay. Well, at the well, end of the day, what are we doing? You know, I mean, even then, it was all about Ha, uh, enabling a, a, a mechanism, the substrate, for a human being to access data uh, somewhere else. We're networking computers together. That hasn't changed, whether it be, uh, you know, a very very old uh, hardware or something something uh, something much newer uh, with higher bandwidth and and some kind of interesting overlay and all these other technologies that just came out. And a lot of the innovation that's come out, it, a lot of it's service overlay stuff. When we're talking about um, you know, let's say we talk about SD-WAN or some new data center technology or how we're doing AI interconnect so we can connect these GPUs. A lot of it is not necessarily brand new technology. It's using what we have. Uh, th there's, there's your answer, Russ. There's engineering, right? Yeah, using that technology that we have available to us to solve a, a new problem. So it's not necessarily yeah. that network is changing to me. It's just that we have new problems and we're, and we're solving them. And we're still getting... We're still making the connection where we're allowing a human being, or maybe it could be a computer-to-computer -computer communication, but you know, for the sake of discussion, a human being to access their data somewhere else in the world, whether it be down the hall in an IDF, you know, on an old file server back in the day, or uh, in in an AWS instance across the world, it's yeah. still it's still hmm. getting them and still fundamentally that. Yeah, but, but whether I mean, it's I, hardware and software, and we can kind of divide it into yeah. that dichotomous sort of thing, I don't, I'm not sure. Well, I'm just thinking. We do tend to be moving from atoms to bits more as we virtualize things. The yeah. atoms aren't. But on the other hand, there is a sense now that you have people who specialize in hardware mm -hmm. and in wiring and in getting things installed and wired up and managing those things. And and then you have people who specialize on the software side, on the pure software side of building the operating systems and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle deploying and designing everything that's happened at the two edges and those are almost kind of three specializations now it feels yeah. like yeah like i don't know many people who work on hardware who rack and stack and and run pretty cables and worry about power and cooling and still worry about 
which routing protocol to use. And on the other side, I don't know many people who code routing protocols who think about like where your PE and your CE should be and what that interface looks like. It feels like those are almost three separate career fields now. Um, kind of interrelated, but still there. So I mean, back in the day, it was a burgeoning field. So yeah. number one, you didn't have this glut of engineers out there so that folks can specialize. And then we have the division mm -hmm. of labor. It also wasn't as big of a field in the sense that like every house has 12 computers in it now where there yeah. was a time. I remember so. when we got our first computer and it was like, what? And, yeah. you know, it was just an excuse to play SimCity. But um, <laughs> uh, no, I joke because SimCity didn't come out yet. But but what I'm saying is it was still a very unique thing. And we were we were probably one Dirt of only a few households on the block with a computer. And it was not networked until finally we plugged it into the telephone line. Um, and that was even a few years later. So. So I think that, you know, therein lies a difference that, that there, it just didn't necessitate all of that division yeah. of specialties. Whereas today we have significantly more complexity because of how we, where we put the data, how people access it and then and how the scale. this has become. Yeah, the, the scale, scale, exactly. The, the scale, scale is well. much larger. Yeah. But, but <clears throat> to be fair, when I first started out and when I mean started out, I don't mean when I was on the help desk, when I first actually got into networking and I had like two CCNAs and I was a junior engineer, right? Whatever junior means. I was working for VARS. In fact, I worked for VARS for most of my career. So yeah, you better believe we were doing all of that stuff. I was thinking about which routing protocol to deploy based on customer conversations and things like that. And I was uh, also racking and stacking and putting cables in because, well, that's what you do and uh, billable hours, right? Um, so I think that those roles still exist, but certainly when you get into the higher end, like larger enterprise, like much larger enterprise and service providers and very, very large organizations where, like you said, they're scaling out significantly. Yeah, then you're going to start to see that division. And um, I would say that somebody who's racking and stacking and, and maybe getting some IDFs and MDFs kind of set up and some basic things like that, maybe even following a script that you prepared for them, they're probably not thinking about um, BGP in the data center yeah. and, uh, you know, mapping out VTAPs and things like that. Uh, well, yeah. almost certainly not thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So how has the interaction with vendors changed? We've always we've always had to have some sort of relationship with a vendor. Nobody that I know is actually fabricating their own boards and putting their own chips on boards ever. Some company was always doing that. Mm -hmm. How 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 do you think, uh, Phil, how do you think that that relationship has changed over time? Well, I mean, there's certainly some some web scalers that are doing that right that are building their own boxes and and writing their own stuff. Uh, so I think that would probably be the exception. Um, a lot of the conferences we go to, they get kind of paraded out as this is what we're doing now. And, and I always looked at it as like F1 racing. No, <laughs> most people are not doing that. Um, we're still relying on vendors. And so to answer your question, how has it changed? I mean, we still rely very much on vendors to, to put out the, um, the bandwidth that we need, to put out the, the features that we need um, and all that stuff. Um, I, think, I think back in the day, um, our reliance on applications, in other words, our access to the data, wasn't as mission critical as it is today. And so we perhaps had a longer uh, life cycle with, with physical hardware that we put in the, into the network, whereas today we need to upgrade more quickly. And so the, the vendor relationship has become, I hate to say more of a partnership, but it is more of a like, all right, we need to um, uh, redesign every three years or think about some kind of a uh, how we do a compostable infrastructure so we can always be at the forefront. Um, but also there's certainly an openness to other vendors because we have moved away from certain proprietary technology, right? 
Um, I, I remember when I was with VARS, I always stayed away from uh, deploying things like EIGRP, something simple like that. Sorry, Russ, I know you like EIGRP or something. It's fine. But, uh, you know, moving toward standards and technologies that were common and, and, and standards, right? Um, I, I, think, I think that that's a lot more the case today. And so what I'm seeing is when one at one time it was vendor a from the campus to the data center to the wan to whatever everything to security all of it today i'm seeing that folks are much more amenable to uh diversifying their their vendors and i think it's not necessarily this whole panacea of vendor agnostic i think that's kind of baloney what i what i see it as is like having one vendor for my campus Maybe it's because their salesperson's really good and they know my, my kids' names, whatever reason. I have a different vendor for the WAN. I have a different vendor for my vendor. vendor. <laughs> I have a different <laughs> vendor for my security, the nuclear vessels. Get, um, get used to it as you get older, it happens yeah, more often. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I do see the little, that diversification of vendors happening, but in those kind of network blocks or whatever you want to call those, right? The different, the different components of our Places of our in the network, even though I really dislike that. What's that, Russ? Places in the network, even, places though, I really, in the network, I, even yeah. though I really dislike that terminology. Mm -hmm. Just like I don't like enterprise and provider, but you know that's another. Entirely. You don't like enterprise. I don't, I don't like that. I don't like calling Terms. some companies enterprise and some companies yeah. providers because everybody uses the term differently. So it's not there is no standard definition. And, but and I do have to disagree with you. I love the term enterprise because it always I get to use a Star Trek term like daily <laughs> in my job. <laughs> Every day I get to say enterprise, and I, I am not lying. Every single time I meet it, with a, when I say it, in, with a straight face in a very important meeting with all sorts of C-level people, and I'm like, enterprise switching, my brain is still thinking the USS Enterprise. <laughs> Even in that context, there's a little nugget back there where I'm wow. thinking about Captain Picard. Captain Picard. Um, but, but in any case, uh, I also think, Tom, that it is different when you, when you look at an enterprise, you know, sorry to use the term, or a service provider or a web scale. So when you say what is the relationship with, with uh, network operators and vendors, it's going to also vary on, on which one of those segments they're operating in. I think service sure. providers, especially with my experience now working at Kentic, we have a lot of service provider customers. Um, it, is, it is absolutely not a, uh, an environment in which it's just one, one vendor everywhere. It's very much like I, I need the specific piece of hardware that gives me uh, the speed and the feed and the features that I need for this particular, you know, for my, my, my transit, for my core, or whatever we're happening to do, whatever we're doing. When I worked in um, uh, with enterprise customers, which is m predominantly most of my experience, and when I say enterprise, I'm talking about a larger organization like a hospital system, yeah. a big school right. district with yeah. 10,000 kids or something like yeah. that, or some law firm with 1,000 lawyers and, and 300 support staff. So it could be anywhere from a few hundred people to... You know, I worked on a global company that had 300,000 employees around the world, also an enterprise. I will say, it's interesting how Cisco, when I'm reading through the textbooks over the years, and there's like a paragraph about um, some device, right, or some design, and they'll say, a small enterprise of only 12,000 people, and you're like, where are they coming up with this? <laughs> That's a small company to them. Fine, whatever. I'll tell you, when I was with VARS, and especially when I had a, uh, a component of my income uh, as variable compensation, or in other words, commission, uh, and you handed me a potential customer with 12,000 end users, yeah, I would be, 
I would be pulling out all the stops to make them happy. That's not a that's not a trivial customer. Um, also, the industry too, right? So, what does it mean for uh, financial services as a, as opposed to higher ed, as opposed to, to to healthcare? So, as an example, in healthcare, the risk tolerance is dramatically lower than it would be for like maybe an e-commerce organization. Uh, the whole idea of fast. Uh, fa fail fast and fail often, uh, maybe trying out new platforms or always having the latest and greatest for whatever reason, that, that might work in one industry, one vertical, but not in another. And, and so the healthcare providers that I've worked with over the years, they are absolutely not using the latest and greatest. In fact, some of the really big providers, I, I worked with one healthcare provider in the, the, the Northeast with almost 80,000 employees, big company. A lot of hospitals, lots of doctor's offices. They're at the point where they were able to work with their primary network provider to have custom code. Right? What I mean by custom code is it's, it was a couple versions out, scrubbed, and quote-unquote safe. You see what I mean? So it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a matter of um, uh, diversifying and getting the latest and greatest. And, and so I think when we, we talk about the relationship between network operators and, and the vendors, it really depends on the context. But by and large, I am seeing this, this uh, growing trend to uh, embrace talking to other vendors. And, and maybe that's been brought on by um, the, uh, like things like SD-WAN, where uh, just other solutions other than the big three came out that were very compelling. Of course, they all bought them all. Um, uh, or other data center technologies that have come out that have, that have solved real problems that the big network vendors haven't. Well, I, but but one thing that I think is going on there is that there's pushback from the vendors on that, particularly in the realm of telemetry and configuration and, and automation, that they're not going to play nice together, and therefore they're going to make you try to use their stuff. Um, it's always the it's always the game of well, it'll work with somebody else's stuff, but it won't work as well. And you know you're in trouble when those words come mm -hmm. out of a salesman's mouth right there. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if you're on the sales side of it, you're looking to ma maximize your margin on hardware yeah, and professional exactly. services. So, oh, I'm going to sell you the entire thing from campus to WAN to security to everything. And then I'm going to provide you all the overlays to manage all that stuff. And then lo and behold, we have this really cool new uh, control plane that manages everything and has policy and blah, 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 and all these cool things. Um, and and that, that might be okay for some customers, but it is kind of scary to me to rely on one vendor for literally everything. I mean, obviously, if it's just one area, sure, it still might, there still may be some risk that like all my closet switches are one particular vendor. Mm -hmm. But to rely on one vendor for everything is, that's tough. But, but think about also where we are today. Uh, you know, here we are 2023, 2024, and then beyond. We have no choice but to have interoperability. So for a vendor to strong arm you as a network operator into using only them makes no sense. They have to be, vendors, network vendors have to be more open interop because half of my stuff is in, or a, a, let's say a quarter of my stuff is in AWS. A bunch of my stuff is in Azure. I have a bunch of SaaS providers now. I'm leasing space in some data center somewhere, right? And I don't own that network. Uh, I have my own private data center. I have end users that are working primarily from the road or from home. And, um, and you know, none of my apps live anywhere. I don't even have a data, I don't even have a domain controller anymore. Not, and so, so I have all these other vendors involved. And, and some of them are things I don't own. Most of them are things I don't own. So, so I have to have uh, 
uh, commonality among all of these resources. So I can, you know, as a network operator, I can troubleshoot, manage, keep the lights on, make sure applications work well. So there's going to be a level of interoperability there. Cisco and Juniper, and they're going to want to be able to communicate with, with AWS, for example, which is why you see a lot of network vendor stuff just show up in the Azure marketplace or in the uh, AWS marketplace. It's built to, to operate with them. And the same thing for like a, an SD-WAN. You go to a lot of the big SD-WAN vendors, they're going to have literally pre-built mechanisms so you can connect to whatever cloud provider or whatever SaaS provider. That's To me, that's interoperability. Now, what are they using on the other end? Who knows what other networking vendors they're using? But it's working, and so I think that where we are today with how we're uh, delivering applications, maybe there's microservices involved, certainly the entire public internet is our network now. Um, it requires that network vendors bend a little bit. Yeah, and that's actually another huge change from when I first started. When I started, mm -hmm. in fact, when I was working at a large chemical company in the US, it was an all IPX network. There was no IP. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was this thing about eventually we'll turn on IP, it'll be turned on like a tap on water, and we'll be able to reach the internet. But we didn't really need the internet. Mm -hmm. We didn't right, really right. care about connecting right. to the internet. It was our internal resources. It was our note servers and our IBM 360 and or, you know, the other, the minis, the A4, AS400s and all that stuff that we were trying to get access to and internal email. Mm -hmm. And there was no desire to like, okay, what is the internet like? And, you know, so, so someplace else you've mentioned internet weather and how that's a concern now. And we don't have that, we didn't have that concern back in the right. old days. And nowadays the internet, you either understand the net internet or you're not going to be a very effective network engineer in most of these companies. You, you have to know how to go out and find your routes and find your DNS information and, you know, where's my route disappearing and what are the communities on the, that some providers stuck on it and what do those communities mean and what's that doing to the local prep and there to say all of that stuff. And, you know, that's all stuff that nobody cared about 20 years ago, yeah. even 10 years ago. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. the transition from IPX to IP and Novell Network. That was, that was fun. I, I think I also feel like I have heard a, a lot less of the consternation among network engineers when different vendors are brought in. There, there was a time when I think pretty much most places, most enterprise uh, shops would say, oh, we're an X shop, we're a Juniper shop, we're a Cisco shop. And, yep. and you know, and you heard stories like, you know, all the, all the network engineers at a certain company walked out because the company decided to go with Juniper instead of Cisco. Like mm. they actually resigned, like a bunch of engineers resigned over mm. that vendor change. But that seems to be, that was quite a while ago. I feel like that kind of thing, like I, I'm, I can't work here if it's not, if it's not my particular preferred vendor. I feel like that stuff's going away. I feel like it, there used to be a lot of resistance. Oh, we can't do that. That's not a, that's not a Juniper. That's not a Cisco. I don't know. I feel like I haven't heard those comments in a while. So it kind of mm -hmm. goes with what you're saying, Phil, about the interop and the reality of lots of different things to integrate out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think about your, uh, let's say your perimeter firewalls. I know that we, we like to talk about edge firewalling and uh, other security measures, not necessarily the perimeter quite as much these days. Zero just to use trust. it as an example. That's, that was like the first thing that I saw that, that switch when it was like all Cisco from the campus to the WAN to the firewalls and the security and then endpoint as well. That was one of the first things that went, you know, and a lot of folks were like, oh, I'm not happy with this particular thing here or this particular thing on my firewall, so let's try something else out. And well, lo and behold, it's Cisco everywhere except my firewalls. Those are Palo or whatever, right? 
that was the first thing that I saw that went because it, it was a certain need. And so, you know, once you, if you're, to go back to your question, Russ, what is a network engineer? I mean, it's somebody who is able, who first understands all the fundamentals, right? So you know what TCP IP is and you understand what a packet is and, and um, deterministic routing and, and what non-blocking ports are. I mean, you understand the fundamentals and then you have this tool belt, this proverbial tool belt, right? And then you, you look at a new problem and you use your tools to solve that problem. And so, okay, I have this problem on my, on my security, on my, rather, I have a security problem, my, my WAN edge. Uh, how do I solve it? And if you're a network engineer who's got those tools and that understanding, you, you might choose some other vendor simply because it solves that, that problem. That's, that's the solution. So that's kind of how I look at, again, going back to the very first question you asked, what is a network engineer? It's somebody who has a very strong and deep understanding of networking fundamentals, not necessarily a computer science degree, I guess, I don't know, and then, uh, and then is able to apply them to solve problems. Isn't that what an engineer does, right? Yeah. Builds yeah. things. And, well, and, and actually that's a good question because I wonder how many network engineers today, because I still think I see a lot of, a lot more, oh, I know how to configure things rather than actually understanding how it works. Mm. And I still see an awful lot of, I know how to buy the right equipment to put in the right place mm -hmm. than more than people actually understand BGP. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do presentations on how BGP converges and people are like, really? You know that? How can you know how BGP converges? Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's BGP. I mean, I don't know what to say, you know? Yeah, it can it's, be understood. Yeah. It can be understood, right? And so, right, you know, it's, it's and I, I wonder if there's been any shift over the years like I, my feeling was when I was early on in the early nineties and actually the late eighties was when I started. But even in the early nineties, when I started around Cisco and stuff like that, there was more understanding of how these things work than there is today. Hmm. We have more of, I'll call the vendor and the vendor will figure it out. And by the way, not just in quote unquote customers, not just in operators. This is also true in vendors. Just, so, just to be blatantly honest. So how does, so Phil, how does today, how does one become a network engineer? There's several paths. Um, yeah. And I think they've changed over the year, like over the years, like Russ was saying, there was, you know, now there's a lot more calling the vendor, but you know, it used to be you go get a certification and uh, you know, a couple of uh, shiny ones with the right names would get you in the door and get you to more experience. What is it now? Is it still that or how, how's that going? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a tough question. And that's one of those questions where I think I've heard 74 other podcasts talk about as well. And nobody, <laughs> nobody has the, you know, that sum total of an answer. I will say that I do believe there's a distinction between a network engineer, network operator, network administrator, right? Somebody who's able to maintain the network as opposed to somebody who's able to design, build, engineer. Literally, yes. like we have a problem. Maybe the problem is like, how do we solve this overall application delivery solution? So it's from a higher level and they're literally engineering, designing, thinking through a problem. And that does include protocols and, and hardware and cabling. Should we use single mode or multi-mode and which optics do we use? And okay, let's get our expert to come in here and talk about how we're gonna dissipate heat in the data center because I'm loading this switch up with the 800 optics. This thing is gonna you know, catch on fire. So all those things play into that for sure. And, and therein lies the, the network engineer. Whereas a network administrator, network, ne network operator, they're keeping the lights on. You know, they, maybe they know the show commands and they know some basic stuff where they can go in there and start looking around. And, and, and then, of course, they escalate to a higher level. 
So um, how does somebody get there? I don't have a degree in computer science, and I have to admit to you guys, Russ and Tom, that I've, I have had that be a, a thorn in my side for my entire career in tech. Now, what I mean by that is that is, it is not a thorn that has hindered my career. I think my career has been fine and probably enhanced by the fact that I have uh, teaching experience prior to being in tech. Um, it's always been something when I reflect, like I wish I had a computer science degree. I wish I had a deeper understanding of certain areas. So, so how does somebody become a network engineer? I mean, you study really hard and you study your butt off, right? And so what I did was I went down the certica certification path and you still can. So I, I reject the notion that all certifications are dead. Cisco did a phenomenal job of putting together a, a entire curriculum uh, or m several, right, to, to walk you through um, uh, an entire path of, of learning the basics all the way to expert level. Now, I understand there's an ulterior motive there. Now you're locked into their realm, right? And now I don't want to buy anything else and I want to work on anything else. Sure. Nevertheless, I learned the stuff. <laughs> And, and, and you can do the same thing with, uh, with Juniper and get a Jan, Jan CIE and, and go very high level. There's other, other certifications out so, there. So, so I'll just say that when the CCIE was invented and came up with, because I was kind of there when it happened to mm -hmm. some degree, I was in Cisco Tech at the time. It was not designed to be a Cisco specific. It was designed to be you're oh, really? good at troubleshooting. That's mm. the skill set. You're good at troubleshooting. It was... You cannot learn to troubleshoot. You can't. We cannot prove that you know how to troubleshoot unless we do it on physical equipment. Therefore, the only way we have to test you is on Cisco gear because we're Cisco, right? But that was not the original. The original intent was, are you a good troubleshooter? And it was meant to be a segue or a gateway into tech, like not to become a tech engineer, but to be like, okay, this person is a CCIE. They've at least looked at the stuff. I can just not ask them these things. Right. So that that's basically where it came from. The CCDE was specifically designed to be non-Cisco specific. I have no idea where it is now, but mm -hmm. that was designed to be Cisco, non, not Cisco specific as well. And to be fair, Russ, I went through the entire uh, process with, with Cisco certifications and... Um, I learned like networking, you yeah, know, yeah. so I could, you could put me on a different vendor's box and I would not, obviously the syntax I didn't know, but a lot of the time either the syntax was similar or I can just, you know, look up the syntax yeah, in the yeah. design yeah. guide or their other documentation or eventually Google it. But the concepts were there, hence network engineer, right? You know, you understand, oh, okay, this is how yeah. we're going to set up spanning tree and things like that, whatever. Now, do you think that's true working with younger engineers today coming up? Because I don't have any exposure to that world. Well, yeah, yeah. To be honest, my exposure to it is uh, when I was teaching at a community college, and and then me telling them what to do. So I don't know exactly what the you know a twenty two year old yeah. is doing right now uh, that just yeah. graduated college. Yeah, I have I have no idea. I'm, I'm asking because I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I know the yeah. CCST, which I've been working on with Cisco a little bit, is again not vendor specific at this point. Yeah, and so. Well, when I was, uh, I, I stopped teaching at the community college a couple of years ago just because of, of, well, various reasons. But in any case, uh, up until I left, uh, I was teaching my student, and I was teaching, like, I guess, what the equivalent of like ICND1, ICND2, that kind of a thing, right? I also taught some Windows Server classes back when that was a little bit more relevant. Um, and, and so what I was teaching them was, hey, 
you, you got to learn the fundamentals, go get your CCNA, but then you, you really need to understand how all this stuff works because it's, you're, you're talking about application delivery and there's DNS involved. How, do, how does DNS work? That's not, that's not the new with Cisco. How does DNS work? Um, you know, what is VMware? Now it's not as relevant, but at the time, you know, you should understand what virtualization is and a type one and a type two hypervisor. Um, what, what is, what is, let's, let's, let's learn how to like navigate a Linux file system, something very basic. And so I, I encourage them to learn a lot of these basic skills. And then, and then from that point, they can specialize, of course, which of course is what you said, Russ, where you then specialize in hardware or software, things like that. But I, I encourage them to have that base foundational knowledge so that they understood that this is an entire system or a system of systems that we're, we're dealing with. Networking doesn't exist unto itself, far from it. And so, um, I, I don't know exactly where they are today, but I know that the, there are still people getting certifications and Cisco certifications for sure, because I see them on LinkedIn every other day, like, congratulations, I just earned this, and you see a CCIE number, and, uh, and they're still needful out there in the industry. I mean, I think, I think when we are in our own world of podcasts and blogs and conferences, we're always talking about what's going to happen in three years, right? But when you go talk to like people operating networks right now, as in today, as in while we're having this podcast recording mm -hmm. right now, they're still on CLIs. They're still trying to figure out, okay, why does this, like, why does my Chicago office have really lousy performance for Office 365? Or, um, you know, how do I get this SD-WAN policy to propagate? It's not going to all my branches. What's going on here? And they're literally just, you know, turning knobs and, and drop down menus and dials and, and trying to make things work still. And so the, the magical overlay the, where, where you set your policy and then the AI kind of does everything for you and so you don't really need to know that much, that's, that's not here. That's not there yet. Maybe it never will be. Yeah, maybe it never so, will be. So Tom, to answer your question, where, how does somebody get into it right now? I really believe that, uh, that a young person needs to have that foundational knowledge, whether that be getting a four-year degree in computer science, which, which I think is great. And I'm actually taking, uh, what is it, CS50 from Harvard Online. I'm doing that right now uh, simply because I, I have that lack, I f at least I feel like I do, so I want to I wanna, um, uh, shore up some of those areas where I feel like I'm lacking. And uh, so whether it's a four-year degree or uh, going through the certification process, um, you know, I, I think it just it needs to start broad for sure. And then, of course, as I think you both would agree, uh, the real key is then uh, putting that to practice, the, the, uh, the deep and wide understanding will really happen once you start configuring things and breaking things, usually unintentionally, fixing things, those aha moments over time. At least it did for me. Yeah, you have to do something real that the business really needs so that they will really pay you. Um, <laughs> you know, having, <laughs> being a talking head, I don't know, maybe maybe um, there are people that make a living at it, but but I think the talking heads that make a living at it probably are doing that because they have a life, you know, a career full of experience to fall back on. They have, you know, you, you got to be useful. If you're not useful, if you can't do something, then even the computer science degree by itself with nothing practical, um, you know, a business isn't going to hire anybody because they're smart. They're going to hire them because they can achieve outcomes. And so, yeah, two yeah. things. Number one, a computer science degree isn't sufficient, in my opinion, because that's not specific to network engineering. Right. It's very broad. So when I said just now about how you have to start broad, that's just the start. You you do if you want if you're heading specifically toward networking, then you need to specialize in networking, and maybe that is the 
um, certification path. And that's a logical decision to make because there are very few organizations, uh, universities and colleges out there that are offering specifically networking degrees. From time to time, I do hear about a network administration degree that focuses a little bit more on that, where they have, like I, like I taught, some classes that are like entry-level Cisco. And that's great. Um, but those are far and few between. So I, yeah. that's why I am not opposed to going down the certification path to learn those fundamentals. And I would encourage anyone to do that alongside uh, working, alongside working a day job. Mm -hmm. uh, I took a gigantic pay cut when I went from teaching to a help desk job. In fact, I took, mm -hmm. I, I took such a pay cut that I, I, didn't, I couldn't afford the insurance for my family. And I had a wife and, uh, and one daughter at the time. It was a strategic move, right? I knew it was, I was hoping it was gonna pay off in the long run, which it did. Um, but I, I did, um, during the day, some of the things that I was learning at night, uh, not all, <laughs> because they wouldn't trust me with the keys to the entire network. But nevertheless, I was putting that stuff into practice and little by little, you, you develop some skills, you develop some experience. Um, you see where there is maybe a divergence between the textbook and real life a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, so it, it was, it, it, takes, it takes a lot of time too. So I, I don't know. I don't know if you could just get a network engineer degree and then. And, well, there, are, there are colleges. There are colleges now that do have some. There are very few. Yeah. Like I, I teach at UC in the master's program. They have a master's in this area. There's hmm. uh, University of Colorado. I, sh I okay. should lay that out. Well, and, and, there's, and, and there's San Jose has, you know, USC has one in that realm. Go ahead, Tom. Sorry. No, that's okay. No, I, I, I agree. There's there's a few programs. And um, just to be clear, I was not saying a CS degree is not useful. Uh, in fact, yeah, when course. I get into the bigger, more complicated uh, network designs, when I'm working with people who don't have a background with the broad underlying fundamental concepts, it becomes very difficult to mm. communicate and work with people who don't have, like don't know, understand, um, you know, computer science tenants. And I don't have a CS degree myself either, but um, it, when you're talking about systems, it requires some theoretical underpinning. You yeah. cannot be successful yeah. in designs without it. Um, so yeah, totally agree with you there. I th but I, I think you just need to be useful too. Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing we're addressing here though is mental maps. And, and how do you build a mental map of the space? so that you can start filling it in in different places and shape of knowledge as well. But but going back to Tom's original question, other than being intentional yourself and doing it, I can't think of many places or types of jobs you can do in networking now where you can just jump in like Cisco Tech was in the 90s mm -hmm. and, and right. get the whole, got, like you worked on the help desk, right, Phil? I mean, there aren't many places where you're going to go now where you're going to get the depth as well as the breadth and the scope of doing things. Most help desks now are scripted. Yeah, but it, I don't know if that's – is that realistic anyway? I mean, I, I never had one job where I learned it all, and I stayed there until I learned it all. And then oh, I no, no, but even the mental beyond. map part, even the mental map part mm. – I learned a lot of the mental map in, in Cisco DAC, honestly. Okay. But even that is lessons. iterative. I mean – uh, yeah, we change is. and grow as, as individuals and, and mm -hmm. change our, our uh, maybe perspectives on certain things. So I, I understand what you're saying. There is certainly a foundational uh, perspective that I've carried through from uh, when I was a young adult to today, an old adult. <laughs> um, but Tom, what you, what you said about being useful, I think that's important. Now, I have two things I want to say about it. The first is internships, right? Would you go, uh, all right, this is a stupid question. <laughs> 
in your mind's eye, in your imagination, you're administrator of a hospital and you have somebody who just graduated uh, medical school with their MD, and they do, like classes, they passed all the tests. You're going to hire them to start doing surgery? No. Most physicians, at least in the United States, then have extensive internships and residencies for years. Now, uh, that's there's there's a seriousness to practicing medicine that requires some of that and but but apply that same idea the spirit of internships to what we're doing um, you know there's there's going to be a time of, of junior engineer where you're uh, there are others that you that mentor you whether they mentor I never had any mentors by the way I just sort of had the senior engineers and I sort of like watched them and asked them questions as we went but you want to consider that an internship. I was getting paid, so it's technically not an internship. But that's that's how it goes and until you have uh, sufficient knowledge and experience where you can go from being a network administrator to a network engineer. Just like you go from being uh, you know, a, a, a doctor who just graduated medical school to a practicing physician who's trusted with literally cutting you open on an operating, uh, operating room table. That's number one. The other thing about being useful has nothing to do with what we were talking about, but I feel like I want to talk about it at this point because that is something I struggle with. I love being an engineer. I love building things and fixing things. And now I'm in technical marketing and I love doing it. I really, really enjoy it a lot. I get, there's a cre I have a creative part of me that uh, I, get to, I get to speak to people. I get to create videos and, and um, uh, do a lot of writing, a lot of technical writing, a lot of creative writing. So that's fun. But I miss being a traditional engineer in the sense that I'm building and fixing and trying to figure out how does this thing, what's going on here? And then just kind of figuring it out. Again, with that a priori knowledge that I go into uh, the, the, the problem with, which is why when I get done with the work day, I go to the garage, right? And I'm like, oh, I wonder why my lawnmower is not working. And now I'm working on that for the next three hours because I, I enjoy it. My wife's like, why don't you just call somebody? I'm like, nope, nope, I'm going to fix it. Plumbing project. Oh, the, uh, a couple a month ago or two months ago, water heater goes. I have no time to do this, to take care of it. And it's hot water, so you need to fix it. And I was like secretly, I didn't say this to my wife, but I was secretly like, yes, this is going to be fun. <laughs> got my, my son didn't want to help me. I got my middle, my oldest daughter. She helped me. And uh, yeah, we spent a few hours taking care of it. And, and it was really fun. I got to fix something. I miss that a lot, Tom. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, for what it's worth. Yeah, well, I, is. I, I just want to say I, I have learned lately the value of technical marketing and people who do that type of work, it is a longer term investment. It is not the same thing as turning a screw for sure mm, on, a, yeah. on, a, on a network, but um, enabling people to do things with the tech, uh, it's a longer term investment. And I think it's, I don't know, I think it's hugely valuable. I've gained a lot of appreciation for that particular, you know, your output is a document, a white paper, uh, um, a, a vehicle for transmitting understanding. Anyway, mm -hmm. I hope it, I hope if we have technical marketing engineers listening that they like there's at least one person that thinks you're cool. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no. I agree with you. Valuable. I, I, I speak only from my personal sure. like feelings and emotions, uh, you know, as far as tracking my career in the past few years. Um, I mean, the other side of that is that I don't do cutovers in the middle of the night on a Friday anymore. <laughs> I mean, how many That's... times have you been there? And uh, Russ, maybe in, you know, a few years ago now. Um, but you're in the middle yeah. of a data center cutover and it's not coming back up and the pings aren't going through. And now you start getting emails and you start hearing pings and it's like some C-level person or a vice president. You know when mm -hmm. it's going to be up and you're like, I don't, I don't know. Yep, exactly. Four hours past the change cutover, well, rather the change window. Yeah. 
I don't do that anymore, and I and I I appreciate not doing that anymore. But I I do admit there is a little nugget in there that also misses that too, um, right. which I'm I'm right. almost like scared to say out loud. Yeah, I mean, I, so so yeah, I mean, you when you work for a vendor, the one thing I've noticed the difference between being working for a vendor and working for an operator, depending on the scale of the operator, right? I mean, there's a lot of layers of escalation before anything would get to me where I am right now. <laughs> it would be it would it would have to be a major network outage for it to get to me, but that's okay. Anyway, um, so is that it is at Vendorland? A lot of people think you're building networks, and ninety percent of what vendors do is not building networks; it's building products, mm-hmm. and so it's not the it's a different kind of satisfaction to see a product ship and to be purchased and rolled out and understand the niche that needs to go into it and how you build into a niche and what the requirements are and all of that. But it's not building networks, frankly. It's just, it's not. Even an SE doesn't, most SEs don't really build networks. They build, you know, they go out and look at point problems and they're not really so much focused on the larger overall design and architecture and where things are going to be in five years. And so... Yeah, I mean, there's positives and negatives being in a vendor versus being in a large-scale operator. I mean, now what I'm doing is all five-year outlook. Where should the architecture evolve in the next five years? And, you know, how do we? what decisions do we make today to make that happen? So, I did like so, being an SE, by the way. I was an SE for four years with a, yeah. with a national VAR. Uh, and uh, to me, for me personally, it was a real nice, healthy mix of being a traditional engineer because I still had to get in the command mm-hmm. line once in a while. And I, I, had to, I had no choice. It was my job to be a subject matter expert on the stuff that I was selling. Um, and I worked with a lot of customers on, on design, on mm-hmm. advising like, you know, platforms and protocols. And, you know, I had one customer that wanted to switch from OTV to VXLAN. And that was an interesting project to like go through all the nuances. And, um, and so I, I do admit, I enjoyed that very much. I guess you call it a pre-sales engineer. Some people call mm-hmm. it that. Our titles were solutions architect, but same thing. So. So you're going to say something, Tom? You had oh, I was just, just in the, um. I don't want to beat it to death, but on the on the in the question of the on ramp into the field, um, I feel like I was benefited greatly by several hops in my career where I went to work on a specific technology. Like I changed jobs for a technology a couple of times. Mm. Um, one of them, I went to work in building a, a MPLSTE network, and so I learned RSVP and I learned ISIS for the first time seriously, and like like all that stuff. And I got there and. They were like, we want to do traffic engineering, but we don't have anybody that's doing it. And I was like, oh, I know MPLS, but I don't know TE, so let's do it. And it was like nobody else was there, and that was a huge education. But I don't know. I hope, do you think that that sort of experience is still available? Are there still places that are like, hey, come do this thing, and we'll all learn it together? Or is that, are we too specialized now? Are those days, are those days behind us? No, of course they're still here. I mean, isn't the entire internet built on MPLS anyway? When we talk about SD-WAN replacing MPLS, I'm like, uh, not exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I do think that, Tom, that, that 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 is still the case right now. Now, it might not be MPLS. It might be, hey, we don't, else, have yeah. Any, yeah, it might, we don't have anybody that really understands uh, how traffic moves uh, you know, inside my 
AWS VPCs or something like that. Okay, well, let me go let me go learn that and, and start messing around with it or whatever. So the technology is going to be a little different, but the, the spirit of that is still absolutely the case. Um, you know, oh, you know, we're 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 using this multi-vendor environment now, and uh, because of whatever reasons, and uh, we're having a real hard time managing all our devices, and we're always playing catch-up. Can you come up with a way to automate some some of the provisioning or something like that? I mean, now all of a sudden there's opportunity. The opportunities are going to come if you're out there working, though. You know, those opportunities are not going to be there if you're just sitting at home studying for the certification exams. Right. Yes, you should do that. I did that before work, on my lunch break, and when I got home, because I was hungry. <laughs> I was very hungry mm -hmm. at the time. And actually, I, I did that for a long time, time up until uh, only a few years ago. But, uh, but the actual opportunities to do the thing is they're going to come when you're, when you're working. And maybe that means changing jobs. And I mean, my mom and dad always thought it was so weird for switching jobs every few years. They were like, what are you doing? Yeah. Aren't you supposed to like stay with so-and-so and then you get a gold watch and you retire? I'm like, no, nah, that's not how it works, dad. Not yeah. in tech. So those opportunities come and you and you take them. And I don't know who it was, some famous person, not a tech person, uh, said that, you know, if some, well, maybe it was a tech person. If an opportunity comes, and you don't know how to do it, just say yes and then go and do it, you know? Yeah, and, and totally. the likelihood is you're going to do fine. Yeah. You know? yep. yep, it's always true. I mean, even my professor, my major professor in my PhD program said, anytime you get the chance to write, write. If somebody says write, can you write this for me? Don't say, well, I don't really know that, or I don't not really know. Just figure right. it out. Just figure it out. You'll yeah. be fine. If somebody gives you the opportunity to speak or to, or to teach, do it. Like, it doesn't matter if you don't know it, you'll learn it. And that'll give you a chance to learn something new. I think I've learned a lot by teaching things over oh, the yeah. years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's been like a, a major avenue for me. Oh, well, I've got to go learn this so I can teach it. I'm doing mm -hmm. an eight-hour session on – I've been signed up to do an eight-hour session on router on iOS architecture at Cisco Live. What can you talk about for eight hours? <laughs> right? You know? <laughs> but you just have to dig in. Mm -hmm. That's all. It's just the way it is. So you just keep going. And that's true for any, any field, yeah. uh, network engineering necessarily. Yes, it's true yes. for anything, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Okay, well, I have nothing else. I mean, I do, but yeah, but um, I do. But let's let's not continue going. <laughs> it's been a good been a good session, good conversation. Yeah, it's been a good sure. talk, yeah. and we can we can set up another talk if we want to. And Phil's going to get Tom and I on the Kintech podcast now. Kintech. <laughs> Very common misspelling or mispronunciation. Actually, um, Avi Friedman, our, uh, our CEO and founder, he explained to me one day that it is the Yiddish word for visibility. Ah, okay. That makes Isn't sense. That interesting? Yeah, yeah, that is cool. And I'm, and I'm not here today on behalf of Kentik. I'm here yeah, on no, behalf that's fine. of me. Yeah, but that's it, is, fine. Uh, it is a good company to work for. So it's a, it's a great awesome. opportunity for me uh, right now. I enjoy it. Great. All right. Well, Tom, where can people get in touch with you if they want to? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. That's it. Find me on LinkedIn. Just, yep. just he's a one social media guy. Yep. And Phil, and Phil, you're in technical marketing, so you're on everything now. I am, I, and I'm still active on Twitter. I know a lot of po folks are are uh, migrating away, but I'm still active on Twitter. You can also find me on LinkedIn. I have a blog, networkphil.com, as well. All right. Cool. And I'm Russ White. You can find me here on Rule11.Tech at the Hedge. Who knows? Just look me up. You'll find me. I'm not very hard to find. 
thanks for everybody who's listening to this. We know your time is valuable and that uh, there's a lot you could be listening to instead of us right now. <laughs> you could be making dinner <laughs> or doing something else. Who knows? But we appreciate you listening to us and us talk about network engineering. We hope we gave you some value for the time that you spent here with us. And thanks, Phil, for coming on. And thanks for listening to this episode of The Hedge, and we will catch you next time. Music.